0: morning. Before I speak with you this morning, let's bow for a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for your holy word that is a revelation of yourself to us. We thank you, Father, for the way in which your word always focuses us to your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, today we ask that you would help us to gain a better understanding of our calling in you. Speak to our hearts, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning it's my privilege to bring to you the last in a series of sermons from Paul's precious letter to the Philippians. Have your Bible with you. I invite you to turn there, on the pew Bible in front of you. It's on page 832. We'll come to our passage in chapter four in just a few moments, but first, let's remember where we are in this letter. In this letter, Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, from house arrest in Rome. And the relationship between Paul and the believers in Philippi was a very loving, very intimate, very tender relationship. I have you in my heart, he says at the beginning of the letter. And then a little later on in verse 8, he adds, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection Of Jesus Christ in the course of the letter he calls them my beloved brothers and sisters and then this beautiful line he calls them my joy and my crown he loves them they are bound together by strong ties of love and his love for them shines throughout the letter He has prayed for them. He has exhorted them to stand firm, to stand united, to be of one mind in the Lord. He has urged them to serve one another in humility like Jesus, who gave up all of his rights and privileges and came down, 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 took on the form of a servant. He has told them not to be anxious about anything, but instead to pray about everything. You remember some of the themes, I hope, that Bob has been preaching on in the recent weeks. And now at the end of this letter, there is one more topic to raise. Maybe rather tactfully, He has left it to the end of the letter. For you see, they had sent him a gift, and he hasn't yet acknowledged it. But he's received it quite recently, has been brought to him by a Philippian, a native of Philippi, with that odd name, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus has brought him a gift from the church in Philippi to Paul in Rome and he wants to thank them for it. And so this is his thank you note, beginning in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4. He writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles, Have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Now, what I think is interesting and quite remarkable here is how Paul has regarded these gifts he has received. He might have just thanked them for it and left it at that. He was glad to have a little more cash in his pocket. But that wasn't the point. Paul wasn't a materialist. He wasn't covetous. He just told them, Previously, that he was content, whether he had a little or a lot. He says to them, it isn't just more cash that your gift means to me. It's something more than that. Paul's penetrating eyes look more deeply into the significance of their gifts. And what he writes about their gifts is extraordinarily applicable to our gifts that we just prayed for a few moments ago. Paul saw their gifts in terms of partnership. When Paul calls them his partners, he's using a Greek word, koinonia. It appears some 19 times in the New Testament for a range of meanings centered around fellowship, joining together, and of course, partnership. The sense is always A shared relationship, a two sided relationship. Verse 14, Paul writes, Yet it was good of you to share, literally, in my troubles. That word share there is the word koinonia. It was kind of you to have a share in it, Paul writes was kind of you to enter into partnership with me in my troubles and my affliction to send some relief while I'm here in prison in Rome sending me a gift as a token of your love and sympathy and you remember philippians you know that in the beginning of the gospel that is when i first brought the gospel to you on my second missionary journey that after i left macedonia no church shared That is, entered into partnership with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, that is, before leaving Macedonia, you sent me aid again and again. Now, what we need to understand here is this the Philippians had been sending a number of gifts before, they did it at the beginning of their conversion soon after the church had been established in philippi they sent him a gift while he was in thessalonica just south of philippi they sent him another gift when he had moved on south probably to athens and now they had sent him another while he's in rome we learn from second corinthians chapter 8 that the churches in Macedonia were certainly not wealthy, but they did have some wealthy people in the congregation of Philippi. There was Lydia, you'll remember, a wealthy business wa- woman who had a successful business selling purple. There was the Philippian jailer. He was another. He was almost certainly a retired Roman army official He probably would have been well off. And so they banded together and sent Paul these gifts. And now, years later, they've sent him another. And the important thing is this. In both cases, regarding the earlier gifts and now the more recent gifts, Paul refers to it in terms of partnership. Now, what does that mean? Paul describes the partnership for us in verse 15 as a matter of giving and receiving. You might be tempted to say, well, the church in Philippi did the giving and Paul did the receiving. They sent their gift and Paul received it. But that's a rather unilateral kind of partnership, I think you would agree. Imagine with me a couple named John and Joan. John and Joan meet. John falls in love with Joan. But Joan's heart is unmoved toward Joan. Toward John. That's not koinonia. That's not partnership. That's a one sided, one direction relationship. But if Joan returns John's love, now it's mutual. It's bi-directional. Both are giving of themselves to the other and receiving love in return. That is koinonia. That is fellowship. That is partnership. And hopefully John and Joan live happily ever after. You see, the kind of partnership Paul is talking about here is a partnership in which both parties did some giving and both parties did some receiving. Paul references this type of partnership in Galatians chapter 6 where he writes, anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his or her instructor. So the teacher gives the student some instruction And the student gives the teacher some payment in return. Each does some giving and each does some receiving. And here in Philippians, Paul has brought them the gospel, given them the gospel, spiritual things. And the church in Philippi gave Paul a monetary gift, something material. And Paul saw their gifts to him not as cash in the pocket, but as an expression of their partnership for which he is thankful. But it's more than just a simple partnership. It's more than cash in the pocket. It's more than just relief aid. It's more than just mutual edification. It's more than just enabling Paul to continue on his missionary journeys. Paul says that by their gifts and support, they have entered into a partnership in the gospel. In chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, he writes these words, I thank my God every time I remember you, in all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. If you know anything about the apostle Paul, you know that he had a very singular mission. His mission was to bring the gospel to the to the gentile, that is non-Jewish world. In fact, that is what had brought him to Philippi. Paul was all about the gospel. He was all about Jesus Christ. In fact, in this letter to the Philippians, he mentions the name of Jesus Christ 50 times, not counting the pronouns. Someone once wrote, and I think rightly so, that Paul was intoxicated with Christ. Paul had a message, and that message was the gospel. But what exactly is the gospel? What is it in a nutshell? We know that the word gospel means good news, but if someone were to ask you what the good news was, what would you say? Would you quote John 3.16? That would be a good thing. Or maybe Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9? Or maybe one of my favorites, Romans 10, 9 and 10 would be good would you say? Someone once asked the great British preacher, Charles Spurgeon, if he could put into a few words what his Christian faith was all about. Spurgeon said, I can put it in four words for you. Christ died for me. Christ died for me. That is the essence of the gospel message. And the church in Philippi, by their gifts and support, had entered into a partnership with Paul in the gospel. And Paul explains to them in the last part of chapter 1 that he is now in prison for preaching this gospel. In verse 13 of chapter 1, Paul writes, I am in chains for Christ, but the gospel was not in chains. In fact, Paul tells them that his imprisonment has really served to advance the gospel. He tells them that as a result of his imprisonment, the whole palace guard had heard the gospel message and that most of the believers in Rome and elsewhere had been encouraged to witness more, quote, courageously and fearlessly. Maybe some of them their friends, Christ died for me. The gifts that the church in Philippi had sent to Paul were evidence of their love and support for Paul. But Paul looks beyond the gifts and tells them that it's really evidence of something deeper. They're evidence of a true partnership, a partnership with a goal and a mission, a partnership in the gospel. But there's one more thing Paul wants them to know about their gifts, and it comes in verse 18 of chapter 4. Paul says, I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice to God. Now this fragrant offering and all of this sacrificial language is familiar to any reader of the Old Testament. It appears first in Genesis chapter 8. You remember after the flood, Noah built an altar, makes a sacrifice, and it says that God smelled the pleasing aroma of his sacrifice. Now that's not literal. hope i don't need to say that i hope we understand something of the bible and principles for interpreting the bible so that we're not dead unimaginative wooden literalists this is not literal god has no body and if god has no body god has no nostrils and if god has no nostrils god has no sense of smell And the smoke does not ascend into the nostrils of God. I hope I didn't need to say that. It really is an intelligible figure of speech, meaning that sacrifices are pleasing to God. The New Testament writers often borrowed the sacrificial imagery of the Old Testament Christ's death on the cross is described as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And our Christian praise and our Christian service and our Christian gifts are similarly described in the New Testament as offerings pleasing to God. Now isn't it rather beautiful, wouldn't you agree, that the Philippians had made a gift to Paul. And Paul says, actually, you made a gift to God. Your gift to me is actually a gift to God. It has helped me, but it pleases God. In conclusion, let me try to summarize. Philippians had actually done something extremely simple, extremely straightforward. They just sent Paul a gift. And with that gift, they sent a message of their love and encouragement. Very straightforward. Very simple. It happens every day. But Paul sees beyond their gift and sees their gift as a symbol of deeper realities. He sees their gift as an expression of their partnership with him and his ministry, including his sufferings. He sees their gift as an expression of their partnership in the worldwide mission of the church, a partnership in the gospel. And he sees their gift as a sacrifice they were offering to God. forget about Paul. Forget about the Philippians. What about you and me? Do you see yourself as a part of a partnership? If the mission of the church is to go forward in the days ahead, what part will you have? If the gospel message of Jesus Christ is to penetrate the world of the 21st century with all of its pluralism and narcissism and materialism, what will be your contribution? If we're able to implement the god sized dreams of our 2022 vision team right here, In our church, what part will you have? No one can answer those questions for you. Only you can. But as you answer those questions, let me leave you with one more question that may serve as your guide. It's a biblical question that I believe arises naturally from the text. Before you go to bed tonight, ask yourself this question. Whatever contribution I make, is it the best way I know how to serve others, to give of myself, and to please God? Whatever contribution I make, is it the best way I know how to serve others, to give of myself, and to please God. God grant that it be so. Let us pray.